All right. Uh, let me go ahead and welcome everyone. I would imagine there will be more that will be coming shortly. But uh, knowing that we are in an environment that is very time conscious, we're going to go ahead and get ourselves started. My name is Dwayne Lemon. And uh, I am privileged to be the one to share with you a very special key in having the mind of Christ. And I believe that God will show us some wondrous things from his words. I know the best way to prepare the mind to do that is on my knees. So I'm going to kneel to pray. Uh, if you'd like to, you can join me. Otherwise, you can bow your heads. But let's all have a word of prayer together, and then we will begin. Our loving Father, we are so grateful. We thank you always for the privilege to come together as a family to study your word. And Lord, I'm especially thankful because you truly are fulfilling your desire that every member of the church may take hold of medical missionary work. And I thank you that you have begun with so many here. May you truly grant us all beyond our expectations. Help us to behold Jesus and by beholding become changed into the same image. This is our prayer that we ask with the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if we're talking about a special key in having the mind of Christ, we need to understand why does God even want us to have that mind. And we know the Bible lets us know very clearly, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. God wants us to have his mind, and there's a very important reason for that. It is the very first portion of Proverbs 23 and verse 7 that says, as a man thinks in his mind, so is he. Whatever goes on in the mind is going to come out in the character. It's going to come out in the behaviors. So it's because of that that God knows the best way to deal with an issue is to first reach the mind. That's the first work of reform, is to purify the imagination. In fact, if you, if you carefully look at David's prayer when he uh, prayed in Psalms 51 after he committed his sin with Bathsheba, you will notice that from Psalms 51 verses 1 to 9, he kind of goes into an acknowledgement of his sins. But it's in verse 10 that you see the reformatory aspect of his prayer. And in verse 10, he says, create in me a clean heart. You understand that? So David knew, Lord, it was my mind that got me in trouble. Therefore, I need you to create in me a clean mind so I can, by your grace, stay out of trouble. And so it is that God, through this process of working with and through humanity, has often wanted to have his mind become our minds. And hence, the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, the reason why this is important is because the Bible presents another picture to us in the book of Revelation, the 10th chapter. Revelation, the 10th chapter is an incredibly profound chapter in the Bible because it gives the history of the movement, Seventh-day Adventists. It goes into the Advent movement, and then it obviously transitions into the Seventh-day Adventist movement. And I want you to see some things that the Bible says, but before we jump into that, what would happen if the mind of Christ became yours and became mine, what would, what would our works look like? What would be our focus in life? And I want you to look at it from the context of Jesus. When the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, I want you to see what was on Christ's mind in everything that he did in the name of human life. The Bible says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. In the mind of Jesus, everything that he did in his day-to-day -day experiences, in his various points of interaction, even in what we would call his professional life, everything was done under the context of finishing the work. There was a work that Christ came to do, and everything that he did, that principle governed it. So when Jesus would eat food, he was thinking, I can only put things in my body that will help enable me and my mind to 
finish the work. Whatever he watched in the name of recreation or entertainment, he would only put things in front of him or participate in things that would help him better finish the work. Everything about Jesus was about finishing the work. There was a work that he was called to do. Now, Seventh-day Adventists have a work as well. We have a very, very clear work, and it's actually spelled out in Revelation 10. The Bible says in Revelation 10 and verse 11, And he said unto me, Thou must do what? Prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. I don't know if you know this, but that's literally an SDA verse. <laughs> you, may not, you may not even be aware of that. that. There is no other movement on the entire planet Earth that can prophesy again. There's literally no other movement. Now, when it says again, we need to understand that. Think about it this way. When you look up the word again, it can mean to do something once more, but it also can do something furthermore. Now, the reason why that's a good point is because if you carefully study Revelation 10, we know, for those of us who have studied it, that John the Revelator is seeing a vision. And when he sees this vision, he sees this mighty angel coming down, one foot on the earth, one foot on the seas, face lit up like the sun. And if you do all the right Bible studies, you'll see this is Jesus. This is the picture of Jesus himself. It's the personage of Christ. And Jesus has a message. And at first, there was a little book that was closed, but now the little book is opened. Hence, when we study Daniel 8, Daniel 12, we know this little book was none other than the book of Daniel. But specifically, in the book of Daniel, there was something that the Bible clearly said was sealed. It was found in Daniel, the eighth chapter. That vision of the 2,300 days, it was not properly understood. At times, Daniel, when he thought about the vision, it made him sick. And eventually, God said it's going to be closed up for a period of time. But then there's a time that's going to come. It's going to open up. Everybody's going to understand it. Well, Revelation 10 is giving this unfolding of how it's going to open up. So now, all of a sudden, the book that was closed is now open. And there were people on earth who opened up the book of Daniel. There were people. We often say the Millerite movement. I would encourage you to be careful, just in case you might be sitting down with people who are very studious. You don't want to just say Millerite movement, because the Millerite movement was predominantly America. But when you study Daniel 8.14, there were people all over the world that were saying, Fear God and give glory to him. The hour of his judgment has come. All over the world, literally, Germany, Africa, Asia, people all over, okay? So we would better say the Advent movement, okay? When you study Revelation 10, don't say it's the history of the Millerite movement. Say it's the history of the Advent movement. When you say that, it's more clear because the history of the Advent movement, does it include the Millers? Yes, but if you say the Millerite movement, does it include the people in Asia? No. Get that? So obviously, when we think about this prophesy again, there's a part of that disappointment that needs to be repeated or stated once more. So when you think about Seventh-day Adventists, right, we are birthed from a movement. And when we think about that previous movement called the what? The Advent. You got it, sister. The Advent movement. When you think about the Advent movement, that movement that was giving the message, we have to repeat once more what they were saying. What were they saying? What was the message they were giving? Jesus is coming. Well, I would imagine there are some Baptists that can give that too. So should we say the Baptists can prophesy again? Very good, sister. It was very specific. The Advent movement taught, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. What message do we call that? Do we call it the three angels or do we call it the first angel? All right, very good. So we call it the first angel. So the Advent movement, did they teach the first angel? So then why do we need to repeat it? Wasn't loud enough? No, the verse said they, did, they gave it with a loud voice. 
That's what the verse says. Revelation 14, 7, sing with a loud voice. So they said it loud. It wasn't worldwide. Well, we just talked about that. It actually was worldwide. They actually gave it all over the world. It wasn't complete, and what was incomplete? They needed the second and the third. There's more to the story than that. Now, see, normally, it's only because of my time constrictions. I'd really make this class. This would be class right now. <laughs> but it's only because, you know, I'm going to just keep it moving. But here's the point. What the Millerites taught when they said, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come, they were giving the first angel's message. But the problem was is that they were incorrect on the location. Is that right? Because when they thought the time was going to come to cleanse the sanctuary, where did they think the sanctuary was? Earth. Were they right? No. So now the message has to be given once more, but with a correct understanding. You get that? So that's the difference between Seventh-day Adventists and the Adventists. The Adventists gave the right message, but they had the wrong location. The Seventh-day Adventists, we give the right message with the right location. Because the sanctuary is not a place on earth, it's a place where? In heaven. Very good. So that's the reason why we have to tell that once more. That's why we have to give that again. Okay? Prophesy again. Tell it once more. Why do we have to repeat the second angel's message? Say again, sister. Babylon had not totally fallen. This is why when you study Revelation 14, for those who are meticulous, and I would encourage you to be so, Jesus really meant it when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word. Here's the point. Revelation 14, 7. Saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Right? When the second angel came, he says, and there followed another angel what? saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Then, verse 9, and there followed, the, and then the third angel came with a mighty voice or a loud voice. So notice, first angel, loud voice. Third angel, loud voice. Second angel, just saying. You ever caught that? Just saying. That's why it's only until you get to Revelation 18, which is still future. It's post-2015. It's only when you get to Revelation 18, what do we see? Mighty angel comes down from heaven, and the mighty angel is giving a cry with a mighty, strong voice. But what's the angel saying? Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Same second angel's message, right? But now it's given with a loud cry. So you could see why that word, that the second angel's message needs to be repeated once more. You see that? What I'm trying to do is I want us to really live by and by the grace, die by or get translated by the principle of Proverbs 4 and verse 7. The Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all you're getting, get understanding. One day and how much sooner now we are going to be tested for our faith. We're going to be asked lots of questions. I was on the elevator, and a man was just on the elevator, and he says, yeah, I, I think they, they don't do stuff on Saturdays, right? He's talking to his wife. And I just said, I can't resist. I said, sir. And I said, don't do things on Saturday. What, what are you talking about? He said, oh, yeah, these seven-day Adventists. He says, you know, we, we, we're obviously checking them out now. This is what the man said on the elevator. And he did not wear one of these things around our neck like you have. He was not part of our con. Do you understand that? The world literally is saying, who are Seventh-day Adventists? What do they believe? And you know what 1 Peter 3.15 says? But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 
This is our time. We got to give the answers. So when people say, what is this prophesy again? You got to break that thing down. You got to help them understand it. So what's being repeated? It's the first and second angel's message, right? So that's the once more. But then what's the furthermore? What's obviously the furthermore? If the second angel, the first and second is the once more, then what message would be the furthermore? It would be the third angel. Do you see that? Only the Seventh-day Adventist church can fulfill Revelation 10, 11. There's only one movement on planet Earth, and this is not a boasting point for us. I believe to whom much is given, much shall be required. And so this is something that as when, when we think about, and, and you know, I'm going to say we, even though I am not a uh, doctor or, or a health practitioner, but I hope you don't mind me saying we. This is my glory moment. I just want to imagine that I am a physician. So if I say we, you get my point. I'm not a physician. I'm making that statement right now. But what I'm saying is that when we have the privilege to work with people, we have the privilege to touch people's lives, and people come to us with great confidence because they're looking for guidance, instruction, and healing, and help. We are put in a tremendous position understanding the riches that God has given to us. Make sense? Okay, so we need to understand the weight of what God has given to us so that we can effectively do the work that God has called us to do. Now, considering this, we're going to take a look at a question. The question is this. A lesson about the gospel. What is the gospel really teaching us? Because when you think of first, second, third angel, you're thinking about the gospel. John says, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel. Let's learn a lesson about the gospel. Number one, you'll remember in Romans 1 and verse 16, the Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? Power. Don't lose that. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, here's the point. John the Revelator saw the everlasting gospel being expressed through the first, second, and third angel's message, right? So whenever you think of first, second, or third angel, you're thinking of an expression of the everlasting gospel. Make sense? What is the gospel? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What makes the gospel so powerful? It's very clear. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18 for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Therefore, it would be a tragedy if we ever taught first, second, or third angel independent of the cross. You understand that? That would be a tragedy. Every time we express the first, the second, or the third angel, it must be very cross-centered. Make sense? has to be. So the power that is in the gospel of which the three angels message is the everlasting gospel, the power that's inside of it is what was accomplished on the cross as seen and understood through first, second, and third angels message. That's where the power is. Making sense so far? All right. Now, the reason why I'm asking this is because we're building into this because we're going to dig into some very serious meat. This is why we are told, let the what of Christ? Let the cross of Christ be the science of how much education? All education, the center of how much teaching? All teaching and study. Then it says, let it be brought into the what experience? Daily experience in practical life. Do you see that? So notice that God is actually saying, number one, there's only one movement that can prophesy again which means you got to repeat the messages with the furthermore, the addition, which is first, second, and third angel. 
these messages is called the everlasting gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The power that's in the gospel is the revelation of the cross. So we're being told, let the cross of Christ. It must now be the science of all our educational effort. Let me tell you something. When I read this years ago, one morning I made, the, I made a decision under the leading of God's spirit to uh, let the book Ministry of Healing be my morning devotion. So I, 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 every morning I went through the Ministry of Healing, cover to cover. And I remember that when I read this and I got to this point of page 460, I said, Lord, I have not done this. You got to understand I'm a homeschooling father, husband of one wife, amen, you know, and, and all these things. And here it is that I'm thinking, have I made the cross of Christ the science of all of my education, the center of all of my teaching and my studies? This is what made us do some changes in our home between my bride and I as it relates to how we even did homeschooling. Because it's, I didn't put it here, but to any of you who are parents, especially if you're parents with troubled youth, you need to look at the next sentence after this. It says, let the cross of Christ be made the science of all, be made the science of all education, the center of all teaching and all study. Then it says, let it be brought into the daily experience and practical life. And so it says, to the youth, Christ shall become a friend. So literally, this is, this is like a solution on how to win our young people. Often we tell our young people, don't do that and don't do this, which is right. But if we do it without balancing it with Calvary. It can produce the legalism, the Pharisaism, or just foul interpretation. So the cross of Christ becomes very, very central to everything that we do, including the three angels' messages. Now, I want you to watch this. It says, brought into the daily experience and practical life. Daily experience. I go to work daily. You understand that? So that, now the cross needs to be brought to work. You go shopping daily. That means now the cross needs to be brought into your shopping experience. You talk to people daily. I mean, think about everything we do daily in practical life. God actually says, I expect you to bring the cross into it. That means that we have to study Calvary like we've never studied it before. Because how do you bring the cross into daily experiences? How do I do this with shopping? How do I do this with my interactions with a customer service person on my Verizon phone because they charge me too much? You understand? I mean, this is stuff we do every day. Is that right? Now I got to bring the cross into it. So now that means I got to study the cross. You and I have to study Calvary like never before so that way we can say, how can I bring this at my business? How can I bring this into my practice? How can I bring this to my office? So let's continue. Let's progress. This is why we're told the theme of greatest importance is the third angel's message embracing the messages of the first and second. But notice what it says, because notice we're to bring the what into our daily experience in practical life? The cross. Now watch this. It says, all should understand the truths contained in these messages. What messages? First, second, and third angel. Now watch this one. We just read the cross should be brought into the daily experience in practical life. Now we're being told we need to understand the truths of the first, second, and third angel's message. But not only does God want us to understand it, guess what else God wants? And demonstrate them in daily life, for this is essential to salvation. So that means that it is not enough to know the three angels. The question is, are you experiencing the three angels? Anybody can say, 
Fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains. Anybody could repeat it. But God didn't ask us to repeat it, did he? He said, I want you to not just understand it. I want you to demonstrate it. God says, I want you to demonstrate the first angel when you go to work. I want you to demonstrate the second angel. I want you to demonstrate the third angel. So this becomes something now that really should get our brains really percolating. I mean, now we really need to say, how in the world do you do this? Let's make this practical, okay? So we're seeing some very powerful lessons here, so we're going to entertain a question. The question is, what really is the purpose of the third angel's message? If it is of greatest importance, if this is the message that is designed to finish the work, etc., it's got to be important. So what is it about this message that is so important? What's its purpose? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. It was not by accident. Truly, boy, I was smiling today when I heard uh, Brother Don McIntosh, and I smiled because I said, truly, there is one Holy Spirit. Because there was something he said that up until today, I never heard another gospel preacher teach it or say it. Yet, it was something that God showed me many years ago. And I thought to myself, I said, man, that, you know, I knew it was powerful from the first time the Lord educated me on it, but it was just so wonderful to see how God is leading other minds down the same path. Watch this. The experience of the third angel says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. And Brother Don said it wonderfully today. He showed how this is actually accomplished in the reverse. You see, you and I cannot just naturally be patient or keep the commandments of God until we first have the faith of Jesus Christ. First, we need the faith of Jesus. Then when I have the faith of Jesus, then I am empowered now to live and keep God's commandments. And as I'm doing that, it helps develop within me a person of patience or endurance. The word patience means endurance. So when I look at the third angel, it's like God was saying, I have it all packaged right here in the verse, because I believe an experience is more important than a warning. You get that? An experience. In other words, if I say, watch out, watch out, if I just yelled, watch out, but I never told you what to watch out for, I never gave you the direction of safety, if all I do is just say, watch out, and all you do is just watch out, you're going to live a life in tremendous fear and agitation. You understand that? That's how some people are given the third angel's message. Some people are saying, Sunday law, and, and listen, the Sunday law is coming. You better believe that. But it is imperative that while we give the warning, it is imperative that we point people to the experience that protects them from the warning. Make sense? Makes super sense. Now, understanding that, this is the experience. So we need to give 9 through 11. Amen. We need to give Revelation 14, 9 through 11. If any man worship the beast in his image, receive his mark, forehead or in hand, this is what's going to happen, folks. We need to give that warning. I want to make that clear. But oh, how we must emphasize the experience. And this is the experience. And it begins here that produces here that produces there. So when you look at the third angel's message, it really gives an emphasis on the faith of Jesus that enables us to keep God's commandments and hence be enduring saints. Get that? Now, understanding that, how important is endurance? Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says it right here. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that what? Endureth to the end shall be saved. The whole purpose of the third angel's message is to bring an experience to the people of God through the faith of Jesus that enables them to endure till the end. To stand though the heavens may fall. 
it is not a wonder that when Ellen White was talking about this and asked the question about the three angels, her answer was very simple. She said, God's purpose in giving the third angel's message to the world is to prepare a people to stand true to him during the investigative judgment. It's the whole purpose of the third angel. Manuscript release book 1228. Whole purpose of the third angel's message. This is why we cannot deviate from this. This is why we need to know, Lord, how do I bring this into my practice? How do I bring these principles? The purpose of the third angel's message is to bring an experience to the people of God that will enable them to be faithful when everybody else is turning their backs on Jesus. And this is an experience that's coming to you and I very soon. And God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to hold on and not to give up. We must endure till the end. But again, the faith of Jesus. So what really is it? If the faith of Jesus is kind of like, you know, foundational to everything else, then we need to understand this. So what really is the faith of Jesus? What is the faith of Jesus? Well, it's the faith of Jesus, isn't it? I mean, it's almost, you know, pretty self-explanatory, but let's take a look at it. What was Jesus's faith like when he walked on this earth? Number one. The Bible says, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus, he did not make a reputation of himself, took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus, when he walked on earth, he lived as a servant. What does that look like? Notice. I can of my own self do how many things? Nothing. He says, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father that has sent me. So when Jesus was living on earth as a servant, he had total, complete, absolute dependence upon the Father to accomplish whatever needed to be accomplished. You understand that? I can't do anything except my Father first gives me permission and enables me through his Spirit to exercise whatever I'm going to do. Jesus had to live just like us, very dependent. Then... Look at what it says in John 6. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Again, Luke 2 and verse 49. I must be about my father's business, a life totally and completely subordinate to the father. Then Luke 22 and verse 42. Not my will, but thine be done. So every day we wake up and we have the privilege to go to work. We have an opportunity to exercise this type of dependence upon God as Christ did himself. This is why we're told in the book Steps to Christ, page 70, uh, dealing with, you know, that time of consecration. Ellen White says that we should say every day, take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at thy feet. Use me today in thy service. Abide in me and let all my works be wrought in thee. That's the whole concept is, Lord, I'm availing myself today. Today I'm your servant. Whatever you want is what shall be accomplished. Oh, if we could learn to live like this. We're living, we're walking in the concept now of the faith of Jesus. This is why we're told the faith of Jesus is talked about, but not understood. What constitutes the faith of Jesus that belongs to the third angel's message? Jesus becoming our sin bearer, that he might become our sin pardoning savior. He was treated as we deserve to be treated. He came to our world and took our sins that we might take his righteousness. Now notice, and faith. In the ability of Christ to save us, how? Amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. That's what the faith of Jesus is. 
the faith of Jesus. That's what it is. We're now relinquishing. We're actually doing what the Apostle Paul said, that we are giving no confidence to the flesh. How many times do we make decisions on what we think is right? You know, if somebody said, hello, I am deceitful above all things, and I am a very desperately wicked person. Would you go to him for advice on anything? You wouldn't go to him and say, what kind of clothes should I get? You wouldn't kind of say, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you wouldn't ask that person anything. You, I'm like, brother, if you're going to be foolish enough to admit to me that you are deceitful above all things and you're a desperately wicked person, I'm not coming to you for counsel on anything. Yet we consult with our own minds. And God says the heart, the mind is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Why do we consult ourselves on what we think is right? There's nothing we can do independent of God that is right or definitely not righteous. So now we're learning to live like Jesus. Father, what do you say? What is your instruction? What would you have me to do? What do you want me to do in this situation? Oh, I'm telling you, ministries would go a lot further if we thought like this. Our influence would go a lot further. Our finances would be provided. We don't have to pick up a lot of the gimmicks that the world does. If we would just learn to lay at the feet of Christ and say, what do you want me to do? Give me instruction. I like this uh, thing somebody showed me on Facebook. It was a person on his knees praying, and he said, Lord, please speak to me. And then it showed the next sign. It showed God sticking his hand out the clouds with a Bible, and he's sticking his hand to him. I said, man, that's good. I like that one. I said, I'm going to take that. You get it? Yes, sister. Of, that's right. Christ is our pattern man. We don't have to look to anybody else. I learned, I was reading Great Controversy, and I'm going through Great Controversy for the third time, and as I'm going through it, I got to page 91, paragraph 3, and, uh, you know, Ellen White, she began to talk about how Peter, John, even the great apostles and prophets, the only time their characters are worthy of emulation is when they were reflecting the very character of Christ. Do you know that God has never called you to be like John? He never called you to be like Paul, and he never called you to be like Peter or any of the others. The principle that Paul said is true for all patriarchs and prophets and apostles. Follow me as I follow Christ. Our goal is to be like Jesus and nobody else. I don't desire to be like Elijah. I don't desire to be like John. I don't desire to be like any patriarch, prophet, or apostle. I want to be like Jesus because all of their righteousness pales when it is compared to the pattern man. You get that? All right. So our goal, our mission then is to exercise this. Now, one of the things you're going to find that is directly connected to the faith of Jesus is this. In Romans 3, and 24, the Bible says even the righteousness of God, the what of God? The righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Being what? Justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So notice directly connected to the faith of Jesus is the righteousness of God, which is highlighted on justification. I thought that was very interesting. And then I saw it again. Galatians 2.16. Don't lose this verse. In Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not what? Justified by the works of the law, but by the 
faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So again, faith of Jesus, we saw massive dependence upon the Father. If, I'm telling you, if we approach work like this, you will find that there are probably some routines we presently do even in our medical practices that would change. We would start seeing, Lord, what would you have me to do? What is the means that you would have me to go? How would you want me to go ahead and help this individual versus that individual? Because not everybody's the same. It's beautiful when the mind begins to lean upon God for instruction, even in our practice. Going on, Galatians 3, 22 and 24. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So notice that over and over and over again, the third angel's message, tremendous importance. This is the principle that God says, I want you to bring it into your daily experience and practical life. But we also learned the cross is to be brought into the daily experience and practical life. So we had to then understand what is the third angel? What really is the message? Because most people understand the third angel's message to be a warning. A warning. Don't receive the mark of the beast or else. Or they receive limited understanding of verse 12. Well, we've got to keep the commandments of God, but we try to do it without the power source. So God says, I need this thing to be balanced out. So everything begins at faith of Jesus that enables us to keep God's commandments that we may endure. Very foundational. So now when we look at this, we see that the faith of Jesus, this holistic, complete, full, incredible trust in God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, this is how Jesus lived. This is how we must live. No confidence in the flesh. Not even when we're at work. Not even with all the, 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 the education. Not even with all the various letters behind our name. Whatever those letters may be, MD, this, that, and the other, da-da-da, that's fine. The world needs that. But for Christ, he says, no, listen, there's a lot of MDs, PhDs, surgeons, etc., that can be absolutely wrong because they've learned to put confidence in the flesh rather than putting their confidence in him. This is what is to make us different. You understand that? Okay. So we also see this faith of Jesus was directly connected to righteousness or justification by faith. The reason that's important to us is because the faith of Jesus is directly connected to the third angel, which is foundational to all the other experiences. This is why Ellen White made the statement several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I have answered it is the third angel's message in verity. The third angel's message is justification by faith. And I kept wondering why justification? Why not just say righteousness? But why justification? And then that led me to another question. What is the key lesson in justification by faith? The key lesson in justification by faith is very simple. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. That's the principle. The principle that the faith of Jesus is seeking to teach us is that we cannot accomplish what God needs and wants to be accomplished independent of God. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. We can't really help people. Or, at best, we might preach to others, 
and we ourselves end up castaways, which is not God's desire. So whenever you think of this third angel's message, God says, this is an experience that I want you to have, to learn to relinquish all trust in self, put your trust in me to do for you what you could never, ever accomplish for yourself, and then God gets all the credit. So this becomes a very important principle that the Lord is bringing to us of how we get this done. It is very easy, even in seven-day Adventism, and especially when we accomplish things, that we begin to talk about, look at what we did. Okay, it's a disease all of us have been bit by. And so what God wants is he wants us to know what it really means to be humble. And being humble is not talking with a soft voice. (laughs) Seriously, I know people think, oh, praise the Lord, Brother Lemon. Oh, yes, yes. And they try to say, this is humility. But then when you try to teach them the word of God, they say, look, I don't believe that. Oh, what happened to your voice? (laughs) All of a sudden, your voice got up. You understand? So there's false humility. And there's true. You know what real humility is? Submitting your will to God in every area of your life. This is what inspiration tells. That's what true humility is, is submitting your will. What if you preached something and, and, and it went viral and it went all over the place? And what if you found out what you taught was wrong? Are you humble enough to say, you know what? My fault. Need to correct that. I need to go ahead and do this. I remember I did that. One time at Audioverse, they put a sermon up. Man, the thing was like number one on Audioverse for weeks. And I listened to it. And I remember I was at a Romanian church and I gave a sermon at the church and I said... Revelation 16, 17 and Revelation 22, 11 are the same experience. What does it say? Revelation 16, 17, after the plagues fall, there's a voice that says, it is done. Then Revelation 22, 11 also indicates it is done by saying, let him who is filthy be filthy still. And let him who is holy be holy still. I said they're the same experience. Man, I love good pastors. And this man was a very wonderful pastor. I appreciate how he even went about correction. I gave the sermon, and man, I'm preaching with power. I'm like, the Bible says it, and they're both the same experience. Amen. Everybody's just saying amen. And the next thing you know, when I was done, the pastor came, Brother Lemon, wonderful sermon. Oh, the Lord touched many hearts today. And then he pulled me close to him, and he said, Revelation 22, 11 and Revelation 16, 17 are not the same experience. And then he pushed me back. And I was like, no, pastor. I said, I know that's the same experience. You know, I'm going to stand for a minute. You got to prove me wrong. So I was just like, no, pastor. I said, and I was going, he, and he was confident. He said, it's not the same experience. So I was like, okay. I said, I'll read it. I'll check it out. Checked it out. And I saw it was not the same experience. They happened at two different times. Okay. When I saw that, I said, I'm wrong. Oh, no. Audio versus people downloading this thing. So I went to audio versus, look, you guys got to take it down. I said, take the whole sermon down. They said, no, 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 we don't, we don't want to do that. It's touching people. I said, nah, man, but there's error in it. Ellen White says, oh, error is sin. You know, so I'm just kind of going. And then, you know, so we're going through these things, and I just said, brother, take it down. Take it down. And then he said, uh, well, I'll tell you what. He said, is that the only point? I said, that's the only point. He says, how about we edit that portion out, and then we just go ahead and connect it back, and then we put it back up. I said, okay, well, if you're willing to do that, that's fine. And then they went and did it. And God was teaching me a lesson that we must, no matter how much has been accomplished or whatever it may be, if you discover you did something wrong, you want to fix it. You want to stay, that's real humility. That's an example of humility amongst many, many others, is you want to be able to say, ah, you know what, I need to fix that, I need to make that wrong right, etc." And this is something that we can perhaps apply even when it comes to our practice, even when we did things. Sometimes we fear uh-oh, there's going to be malpractice lawsuits coming all day long, etc. But we always have to remember we must do what's right, come what may. Leave the consequences with God. We must always do that which is right. 
So we lean upon God's spirit. God teaches us these things. And this is the principle of the third angel's message. What we're getting ready to come up against, my brothers and my sisters, we cannot stand against the storm that's getting ready to come. There's no natural human ability that we have that can withstand this storm that's getting ready to come. Our glory must be laid in the dust. We got to get to a point of total, complete dependence. And when we do that, you will find it's easier to share that with your patients. It's going to be easier to share principles of the gospel with them because you have experimented it yourself. There's something called experimental religion. And we have to understand people can discern sometimes when we might be actors or actresses, giving messages that we ourselves neither believe or are practicing. God doesn't want us to be actors. That's what Jesus called the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrite in the Greek means actor. So God doesn't want us to be actors. So we are to always remain genuine and let God's spirit lead. This is why we're told something very important. The third angel's message is very, very key when we think about our expression of the gospel, even when we think about the practice and whatever we do in the name of work. Now, there's a gentleman by the name of Elder Kay. Here's a lesson we can gather. Elder Kay, as far as the Sabbath is concerned, he occupies the same position as what? The Seventh-day Baptist. There was an elder in the Seventh-day Adventist church, but when he taught the position of the Sabbath, he did it as if a Seventh-day Baptist would have done it. So Ellen White commented about this. She had a lot to say about Elder Kay. She says, separate the Sabbath from the messages, and what happens? It loses its power. Notice that. Separate the Sabbath from the messages, and it loses its power. What messages was she referring to? Notice. But when connected with the message of the third angel, a power attends it which convicts unbelievers and infidels and brings them out with strength to stand to live, grow, and flourish in the Lord. That quotation is from volume one of the Testimonies to the Church, page 337, for those who are taking notes. So what you'll see here is that the same way that Elder Kay was teaching a truth, it lacked power. You understand that? Everything that I'm, pre I'm presenting before you is, has been methodically put together. Watch this. Did he present the truth? Did Elder Kay present the truth? Yes, he did. He taught the truth of the Sabbath, but he did it without the key power element, which was third angel's message. Now, is it possible that we can teach the cross? Teaching the cross is truth, but if we do it independent of its context to the third angel's message. Will even your preaching of the cross have real power? Do you get that? In other words, you might go ahead and talk about the cross and somebody might say, yep, thanks a lot. My pastor said that yesterday in church. That's why I love my pastor. Have we accomplished what we want? No, because as our previous uh, presenter said, the mission is to bid them follow me. That's the fifth step. It's not enough to mingle with men as one who desires the good. It's not enough to show sympathy. It's not enough to minister to their needs. It's not enough to win their confidence. It's enough when we do the fifth element, which is bid them follow me. And they may not follow us if all we're doing is saying the same things that everybody else has said. So when we even present the cross, there should be presented a cro the cross in a context of the third angel's message. You see, the evangelicals just simply love the fact that Jesus died so they didn't have to die and that they get to go to heaven. 
I love Easter time. Because every Easter that comes, we go door to door, me and my family, and we put together nice little articles and things, and we like to go places. And what we do is we always say, we go to the door and we show them there's more to the story. Happy Easter, there's more to the story. And they say, what do you mean? And you give them a little article that lets them know the rest of the story. You see, we have a story that goes beyond resurrection. Is that right? Easter's all about resurrection. But is there more to the story? Oh, yes. Because that's where their story stops. But God gave us a story that goes beyond. He didn't just rise. He went to a very specific place to do a very specific work. Jesus doesn't want to just forgive and he doesn't want to just cover your sins. He wants to blot them out. He wants to cleanse them. All of it can only happen through the power of Calvary. This is why Great Controversy 489 says the light of the cross is reflected in the most holy place. It's a story not just what Jesus does. You know, you can erase a chalkboard, but there's still chalk on the board. You may not see the letters, but you can erase it and you see the dust all over it. But when you cleanse a chalkboard, there's no residue left over. That's the part that a lot of people are forgetting. People like to talk about how Jesus can erase your sins in the context of how sometimes we erase a chalkboard. You didn't really get victory over it. There's still dust. You don't see the exact letter S, but the, the powder that made the letter S is still all over the chalkboard. What Christ wants to do is not just erase. He wants to cleanse. He doesn't want a trace of dust to be on that chalkboard. And that's good news. When a man can know not once do I ever need to smoke again. Not once do I ever need to take crack, cocaine, or any other harmful drug. Not once do I have to fall back into the, fed, the bed of fornication, even though I'm a slave to fornication. Yes. This is the power that Christ is working in the most holy place on your behalf, not just to forgive, not just to cover, but to completely blot out. It's a beautiful message. And it's best told in the context of the third angel. So let's bring out some final points here. The focus. So then, looking at Jesus, looking at what he did, what then is the focus of our medical missionary work? What then is the focus? What should be our focus when we are seeking to have this mind of Christ and then try to apply the principles of Christ in our day-to-day work? What's the focus? Well, look at Jesus. In Matthew 1 and tw- verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. When Christ came, what was his focus? Save people from sin. How about this one? John 12 and verse 47. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Again, Christ saving, saving. Now watch this one. Matthew 9 and verse 6. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to do what? Forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. Notice, did Jesus do a healing work? Why? Jesus did a healing work to endorse his spiritual work. Did you catch that? That you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to do this miracle. You get that? When we understand this, then we'll appreciate the statement that says the work of the true medical missionary is largely a spiritual work. Your practice 
and your office and your jobs as medical professionals is a means to an end. It's a, it's a wonderful means to an end. We are not satisfied just when people walk away without their ailment anymore. We should not be satisfied. Somebody says, well, why shouldn't we be satisfied? That's a great thing. If somebody has a disease, they don't have it anymore. You're saying I shouldn't be satisfied? No. I'm not saying you shouldn't be happy. Just don't be satisfied. Why? Notice, because Christ wasn't satisfied. Jesus was not what? Satisfied to attract attention to himself merely as a wonder worker or as a healer of physical disease. He was seeking to draw men to him as their savior. That's where our satisfaction comes in. Our satisfaction comes in when they receive the fifth element. Follow me. Receive what I've received. Follow Christ. Now, did Jesus heal ten lepers? Yes. Did nine not even express appreciation? Correct. Did Jesus take his healing back? No, he didn't take his healing back. So, you know, in other words, we're not saying we won't help people or serve people if all they want is the physical healing because we just want to give a demonstration that we care about them. But the truth is our mission is to do more than just alleviate pain and get rid of bad diseases. Our mission is to bring people to the Savior. That's the key, to bring them in Christ and Christ in them. This is the key. So when we think about the focus of our work, every day your focus now, the question is, is this your focus? When you go to work, are you just doing rounds? Are you just helping folks out? Are you just longing for the day to be over even though it hasn't even begun yet? Are you there because you're saying, praise the Lord, I have an opportunity to meet precious souls that I'm going to use my practice or use my position, use my influence, that by the grace of God, I'm going to point them to a power source that's going to show them how God can accomplish for them what they never could have accomplished for themselves. This is the essence of the third angel. And as they learn it in that which is little, they will understand it in that which is much. That's Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. But he who is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If you can cultivate in the mind of your patients to learn to trust in God to do for them what they cannot do for themselves, not to trust in drugs or herbs. Get that? I don't want to transition somebody from aspirin to charcoal. I want to transition them from aspirin to Jesus. You get that? It makes, makes more sense. The goal is that they need to understand even Jesus has to activate the activated charcoal. You get the point? It's like we're not for Christ. So what we are trying to do is constantly point the people back to the power source that shows them how God can accomplish for them what they never could have accomplished for themselves. And when you get praise, remember the wonderful lesson from Luke 17. God says, when you do the things that I tell you to do, he says, remember to say we are unprofitable servants. We have only done that which the Lord has called us to do. In some of your positions, if you're a surgeon, if you're, you know, working on people's hearts and brains and all the various body parts, etc., it's very likely people will often praise you for what you have done. But that's our opportunity to let them know I'm an unprofitable servant. I've only done that which God has enabled me to do. Were it not for God, I could not have held my hand steady to do that incision. Were it not for God, I could not have done the research that enabled me to give a faithful diagnosis, etc. So these are the things we must understand. We demonstrate that. It's easier to impart it to the patient. Bringing out some final points, a special key. How in the world do we develop this incredible mind of Christ? 
Jesus did an incredible work. We're, we're, we're watching what Christ did and what he expects us to do. How did he do it? How, did this, how was this demonstrated in the mind of Christ? I want you to look at this quotation from Acts of the Apostles 531. God calls upon us to reach the standard of what? Perfection. Do you believe that? you believe that word? Is that a bad word? I pray never in this environment. God calls upon us to reach the standard of perfection and places before us the example of Christ's character. Jesus' character is an example to us. It says, in his humanity, now watch this, perfected by a life of constant resistance of evil. You see that? The life of Jesus was a life of constant resistance of evil. He did not resist evil once and then dropped his guard. His life was a constant resistance of evil. It says the Savior showed that through cooperation, that's a very important word, with divinity, human beings may in this life, in this life, attain to perfection of character. Amen. This is God's assurance to us that we too may obtain how much victory? Complete victory. How did Jesus have success living this incredible life of constantly resisting evil, constantly serving and ministering, constantly doing away with the evils of life? How did he do that? Well, let's look at the special key. It's found in the book of Isaiah. It says in the book of Isaiah chapter 7, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Emmanuel. So notice, this is talking about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, still talking about Emmanuel, look at what it says next. It says, butter and honey shall he what? Eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. What? Are you telling me that the Bible is helping us to see that there were dietary practices in the life of Christ in his day that assisted him in developing a mind, character, and personality to constantly resist evil? Yes. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The term that he may know literally means at his knowing or when he knows. So when Jesus was growing up, you remember what the Bible says here? And the child grew, you know Jesus grew up. You know, Jesus did not come into this world a mature genius. He had to grow. His mind had to develop. You understand that? So when Jesus grew, it says, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So once Jesus got to a point in his growth where he understood good from evil, there was far more judicious choices in diet. When he knew what evil was, then there was a practice to make sure, to make sure. In other words, parents already knew it. The parents were already imparting. It's kind of like my son, Jared. My son, Jared, is 17 now. He is literally my height, if not taller. Well, there was a time that mother and father, we would go ahead and do certain things as it relates to food choices and so on. And he would say, okay, and he'd eat it. But then he got to a point at his age where he now understands things better, could make his own decisions. And as he got to those points of understanding, now it was no longer mom and dad's choice. It was now his choice as well. You understand that? When he knew, when he understood, it was not just I'm doing what mom and dad want. I'm doing what I want. You get that? When he knows. So Jesus literally 
the food that he ate played a role in his mental, spiritual, physical development. This is one area that is often not discussed when we look at this incredibly perfect character of Jesus Christ. This is an area that's not often discussed. Unfortunately, to date, even many a times in medical school, a lot of times nutrition is still not highlighted. Yet, Christ understood this principle from the very beginning. This is why we shouldn't be surprised that today, you know, I'm sure you all saw this, right? We all have the reports, and it says it very clearly. Meat is linked to higher cancer risk, the WHO reports. Uh, the World Health Organization said Monday that eating processed meats, such as sausages and ham, causes cancer, while unprocessed red meat may also be carcinogenic. The WHO's Cancer Research Unit now classifies processed meat as carcinogenic to humans, based on evidence from hundreds of studies and linked it specifically to colon, colorectal cancer. The WHO now classifies processed meat in the same category as smoking and asbestos based on a certainty of a link with cancer, but stress that did not mean they were equally dangerous. So understanding this point, what I like about this, some of us would say, you see, we knew this over 100 years ago. You ever heard anybody say that? I like to say we knew this well over 2,000 years ago. In other words, take advantage. When you are a health practitioner, take advantage of every opportunity to bring people back to the Bible, bring people back to scripture. An example, God talked about the condition of animals in the last days. It was in the book of Hosea. When you read Hosea chapter three and verse five, afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in what days? The latter days. First application dealing with the Assyrian kingdom, but it has a last day application. So what's the last day application on this? Look at what it says next. It says, hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there's no truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. Do we see this today? Lack of these things. How about, how about this one? By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. Do we see these things happening today? What's the first word in verse three? Therefore, what does that word mean? Because of this. It says, therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. In other words, because of this rise in sin in the world, it was going to bring about languishing. That word languish means to be enfeebled and diseased. I wonder what God prophesied in the last days was going to become enfeebled and diseased as a result of the rise of sin. It says, therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish with all the, notice, beasts of the field. God told us thousands of years ago, not just a hundred, thousands of years ago, that the beasts of the field in the last days were going to become diseased. And not just the beasts of the field, it says the fowls of the heavens. God actually saw not just the problems with swine's flu and all of the mad cow disease, but God saw the salmonella in the chicken. He saw all of the issues that we're seeing today in the bird kingdom. But not just that, it says, yea, the fishes of the sea. God covered the whole animal gamut. God said, beasts of the field, fowls of the heaven, chicken of the sea. Now, why do I like doing it this way? I said chicken of the sea. Fish of the sea. Good catch. <laughs> why? Why do I like showing it from the Bible? Because there's a little phrase that says, kill two birds with one stone. If I could show it from the Bible... Then I could say, and you know what? When God gave us this first lens, 
of understanding this, God gave us spiritual bifocals. He gave us a second lens. The second lens is found from a writer just over 100 years ago. And then you show them the second lens. And you show them how Ellen White was 100% accurate on what the Bible said. And now they not only want to go back to their Bible, now they become a little bit more open-minded about reading that writer. God actually saw all these things coming to pass. So one of the things that you and I can do when we have opportunities to meet people in our profession is when they talk about the news of the day, we can actually say, yeah, did you know that the Bible actually talked about these things? Really? Where? And then you can show them. You can show them. Great opportunities right before us. So what are some of the principles of bringing the cross into the workplace? Our closing point here. Some of the principles of bringing the cross into the workplace. Well, practical lessons from the cross. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow me. What are ways that you can deny yourself at your job? What are things that you can go above and beyond? Things that you have a right to not do, but you'll choose to do it because you're just going to deny yourself for the betterment of someone else. You know, it is one thing to have someone come to your office. And maybe, as stated earlier, maybe you can turn your office into a place of education. Sometimes you even have doctors that go a little further, or nurses. They will actually go visit others. But how many times do you invite people to your house? Maybe that's an area where we might have to do a little bit more denying of self. Think about it. If your home is a Christian home, then that's one of the best places to bring people. Let them see Christianity live and in action. Let them come to your home and see how a family is supposed to run. Because sometimes you might have somebody come into your workplace with liver problems, but maybe they also come in with a broken home. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we could invite them to our home and they could see a husband that actually loves his wife? A wife that actually loves her husband. Parents that actually love their children. Children who actually love their parents. And then the biggest one, children who actually love Jesus. What would that do to somebody's mind? But it might require you to deny yourself. It might mean that, yeah, I don't want them to see my house. I don't want to bring people. I'll go to their house, but I don't want to. You, whatever the area may be, you have to ask yourself, what area can I deny myself a little bit more? What area can I be willing to extend myself? Here's another principle of the cross. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was that joy? I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Are you and I willing to inconvenience ourselves, to make ourselves uncomfortable, to sacrifice even if it means minimal gain? Jesus says even if it was one, I'd still do it as if I did it for one billion. What if we could make it, make it plain? Whenever we do our work, whether it's one patient or if it's an opportunity where we may not get a lot of money or get money back. I was just talking with a surgeon friend of mine, and he said because of certain patients that he has and certain insurance, he does not get paid the same way that he would with different patients under a different circumstance. But yet he gives them his best as if. That's what Jesus did for us. He said, listen, even if it was one, I would do it. Always give your best. No matter what the situation, whether you're getting paid or not, or whatever the case may be, I have seen just in ministry, I have seen how God has always bridged the gap, even when the financial scenarios did not work out as it was planned. Whenever you serve people, you give them your best. That's what Colossians 3 verse 23 says. Do your work as unto the Lord. 
Galatians 6 and verse 14. It says, I am crucified unto the world and the world to me. In your practice, in your office, let nothing of a worldly nature be seen. Let not lewd magazines, let not television be playing that plays all of the lewd commercials. Listen, if people want to go watch commercials and news, let them watch that at home. Maybe you and I can have an opportunity to only play that which provides a holy atmosphere in our office. Music. You could take a Gospel of Health DVD and you can put it in there that's giving wonderful health lectures from Dr. Nedley or some of the other wonderful people here. And you can play those things while they're sitting in the waiting room, hoping that when they come in the room, they're going to say, you know, I almost wish you didn't call me in. I was enjoying that DVD. I was enjoying that video. How do I get that? And then it can turn into an opportunity to be a minister. There's so many ways that we can demonstrate the cross of Christ into the daily experience. We can go ahead and provide things to people that can help them along the lines of their physical health. When you go to, the cro- when you go to shopping, denying yourself. I see the donuts, but I know what the donuts do to me. I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to go ahead and get the fruits and vegetables. That's literally bringing the cross into the daily experience. You're denying yourself to do that which is right. There are simple, practical ways that we can bring Calvary, and we can bring these things into our hearts, in our homes, and in our workplace. There are many, many more, I would imagine. And there are some things that we would love to share with you. So what we can do is that we've reached the end of our time. So what we can do is we can meet um, we do have a booth. You'll see the booth over there. It's called PTH Ministries. Uh, this is my family, PTH Ministries. Uh, this is myself, of course. This is my son, Jared, my son, Caleb, my wonderful bride of 18 years, Alexandra. This is Kayla, and this is Jada. And, uh, you know, we are a family-based ministry, PTH Ministries. And you'll see that at the table, but that's what we are, a Bible-based ministry of preaching, teaching, and healing. You'll also see a lot about Tekoa missions. You'll see, uh, oh, this is just... You know, some different things that we do with our children in the name of working together in ministry. We are a family that works in ministry together. Um, we have the privilege of traveling the globe and sharing the everlasting gospel with many in very practical ways. And the reason we do that is because God said so. It was God's plan for the members of the family to be associated in work and study, in worship and recreation. The father as priest of his household and both father and mother as teachers and companions of their children. So these are just simple little things that we do. Uh, as a family ministry, but we also have uh, our missionary training school in New Hampshire, Tacoa Missions. And I hope that you get a chance. In fact, I would ask one favor. Please do not leave this room until you allow me to put one little thing in your hand. It's not a solicitation by any means, but it is something to make you aware about Tacoa Missions. We have a lot going on in New Hampshire. The Lord is doing incredible things in the Northeast. The work is reviving. People are afraid of the Northeast. Why? I don't know. just put extra layers on. (laughs) But there's wonderful work that's being done in the New England area. God is really reviving a work there. And we have statements in the book Evangelism where God says that he wants to see the work revived in the Northeast where it all got started. And so we're just grateful. And to Missions, we have many things to tell you about it. So we look forward to seeing you there. My question is very simple. How many of us understood the study? That's the first question. How many of us understood the study? Okay, good. If you need more information, if you would like even a copy of the very presentation that was done so you could, you know, peruse over it, really review it, come see me at the desk. I'll give you my card. I'll email it to you. I'll email you the whole thing just so that way you can go through the notes, you can look at the quotes, and that way you can really ingest it. So that way, by God's grace, you can get everything that it was designed to do. Are we willing to cooperate with the Lord, to let the experience of the third angel, let the experience of the cross become something that is a living entity within our hearts? 
that we can demonstrate the power of the gospel in a dying world and even in our practices and our business. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand together and let's have a word of prayer on that. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we are grateful. We thank you, Lord, for what you have taught us. We thank you so much for your words of truth. We are living in the very time in Earth's history where there's a great work to be done and little time in which to get it done. And you have privileged many of us to have various places of influence, whether it be our own practices, working in a hospital or another office, and some of us may be just doing ministry or even in college and school while we're trying to gather our education. Lord, we're just praying. Give us wisdom beyond our years. Show us how we can study these messages and how we can internalize it and let it become a living, practical force in our lives Amen. that we can demonstrate the everlasting gospel Amen. in a very sinful world. And I thank you that though these things may seem impossible with men, we're grateful all things are possible with God. Increase our faith and help us to go forward in it, we ask. But we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.